welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, and here we are. Good morning, everyone. Um, today we invite you to consider the arrival of peace. And I wrote this piece thinking a lot about journeying. You know, during the holiday season, we're, we're journeying, you know, physically to and from different places. But also internally, I feel like there's this journey that we're going on, um, marking both in time and space, um, moving towards something. And so I just invite you to, to that this morning. Times and spaces long ago, the Magi journeyed towards something, a feeling, inclination, intuition, a star. A million pieces of light bursting at once to signify a journey that happened and is still happening, marking both in time and space the arrival of something and someone, the journey to. To have followed that physical, emotion-ridden, and innately spiritual symbol demonstrated courageously the journeys each of us have made and will make. The journey towards a star, towards light, a journey towards ourselves, ourselves in this fleshy human existence in relation with that of an invisible deity, the journey to. The Magi offered what they could, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and so each of us brings our gifts, our complexities, our mere humanity before the divine, quietly asking like that of our deepest and fullest intuition for the sheer gift of being fully known, loved, and seen, the journey to. All right, friends, if you want to find your seats, that would be fantastic. <clears throat> welcome to you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Micah. If we have not met, one of the pastors here at Awaken. Just one of two. One of two of the pastors here at Awaken. Sorry. Jen is here today, guys. I'm so glad to see you. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. I can't. Um, so, okay, back to the deal. I'm, I'm still Micah, one of the pastors here. Really glad you're with us. Uh, if you are new, we would love to know that you're here. So in the seat pockets in front of you or the pews there, there's a card you can fill out. You can also go on our website, awakenwest7th.com. Fill that newcomer card out. Someone from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. You can get to know us. We can get to know you a little bit. A few things we want to let you know about uh, by way of announcements. Uh, the first of which is this week on Thursday the 14th from 7 to 8, there is a, an event called Awake in the Waiting that our uh, artists and creative folks are at Awaken are hosting. So if you find yourself uh, just sort of a buzz and a little like, um, you know, during the season, uh, this is a night that's meant to just kind of take a couple deep breaths. So there'll be singing, there'll be some readings, uh, just a time of contemplation and to be together uh, in Advent. So that's on Thursday uh, the 14th. There was a winter fun day scheduled for today, and um, there's no winter to have any fun in. So as soon as we get global warming under control, we're going to reschedule that for when there's some snow on the ground. Uh, and that will be, uh, well, hopefully sometime this winter, and we'll let you know about that. Uh, there is, today is the last day for our missional grants uh, submissions. So if you've been around the last few weeks, we have these, this $20,000 that we're sort of making available to you all 
and your recommendations on where it should go. So four grants, $5,000 each, to nonprofits that are kind of in the vicinity of and DNA values-wise uh, congruent with Awaken um, that you are aware of. So you can make those submissions, uh, and those are complete today. I think we have 17, so the team that is discerning has our work cut out for us, but it's very, very exciting um, about where the Lord is leading in that. And then last but not least, uh, my friend Art Morrow, who uh, former chair of the board, replacing Jenna in this interim time uh, while she's away on maternity leave, are hosting in a, a Zoom meeting on Monday night, next Monday, the 18th of December. So we rent this building from the Catholic Church. We have been here, um, that we're in our second five-year lease term, which ends March of 2025. Uh, if you've been with us at Awaken, you know uh, we'd like to do all the weddings in this building, and our lease agreement doesn't allow us to, and so we're sort of in a little bit of a pickle on, in terms of like we, we want to be congruent and have integrity with who we are as a congregation, and yet we're in a space that doesn't allow us to fully live into that. So uh, we want to just kind of have a, a time of update uh, to let you all know some things that we're working on and thinking about and really to invite you to pray with us about where the Lord might lead. Um, open doors where there seems to be no way, you know what I'm saying? Um, so that's Monday night, the 18th, uh, 6.30. That'll be on Zoom, so you can uh, look for that link in the Awaken Weekly. Sound good? Great. Um, Matthew chapter 2 is where we will be. Uh, just over five years ago, December, uh, or excuse me, 2018, it feels like forever ago, uh, and yet it feels like yesterday, COVID was in there, I'm pretty sure, as well. We were on sabbatical in the summer of 2018, um, my family and I, and so part of that sabbatical included a pretty major road trip from Minnesota to California, um, and that went through Yellowstone and up into the Pacific Northwest, down the Washington and Oregon coast, and then into the redwoods of Northern California. If you've ever been out there, it is stunning. Uh, Laura wasn't involved in the planning of the road trip, and so I thought it would be a good idea to find an Air... You all see where this is going, right? Uh, an Airbnb, and the title for the Airbnb was Romantic TP Getaway. For the wife and the three children and I, <laughs> Right? It looked really spacious on, on the pictures, and I thought, that'll be fun, you know, we'll sleep out in the woods in a teepee, it'll be lovely. It was not lovely, it was very romantic. It was very small when we arrived. We had to drive 12 miles on a forest service road. If you've ever, like, these are not plowed, they're not cared for by anybody, very rarely. And so, uh, you know, the brakes are just burning up by the time we go down this gigantic cliff uh, on top of the... Uh, Klamath River, we make our way down there, and we ended up changing uh, hotels, changing venues, changing, you know, I don't even know what you call it. Uh, we ended up in a cabin, didn't have a bathroom in it. It's going great, this whole trip's going awesome. So middle of the night, I like, I have to go to the bathroom, and I was, so I get up, and Laura's like, well, check with the kids and see if they do, so then they're not eaten by mountain lions if they go out there. So I check with the kids, two of them decide they, they're going to go to the bathroom. So we get up, we go outside, and it is like dark like you, you've never seen, right? You can't see your hand in front of your face dark. So we get out there, and for whatever reason, I looked up, and I just stopped. Never in my life have I seen a, a night sky like the one that we saw that night. And I said, Dahlia, Lyndon, look up. And so they stopped, and they looked up, and we just stood there in silence for I don't know how long. A, a night sky I will never forget. I'll remember it till the day I die. And I kind of wonder sometimes, like, what was the sky like when the Magi looked up? When they looked and they saw this star that they followed, like, what would that have been like? 
We're in this series called The Journeys of Christmas, and we're looking at these stories in and around the, per, uh, the, 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 the birth of Jesus and the story of Christmas. So we've looked at Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, right? He's visited by an angel. Uh, his mouth is closed for nine months, and he waits in silence uh, for the birth of his son, John. <clears throat> we looked at Joseph a few weeks ago, and the million miles he must have traveled in his mind, right? Trying to make sense of, like, this new world that they didn't see coming. What, what had happened to Mary and what was going to happen to him. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Mary and Joseph and their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, uh, where they eventually give birth to this child. Uh, we looked at Mary herself and this moment where she's visited by the angel Gabriel and told this news uh, and she somehow finds the space to say, be it unto me, just as you say. And so today we're looking at this story of the Magi, the wise men who travel from the east, seeing the star which stops over Bethlehem. Um, I remember as a kid, I thought this was the weirdest song. You know which one I'm talking about? I, I think I was like in first grade or kindergarten, and I was in like the, the, the Christmas choir, and we sang th what I thought was three, We Three Kings of Orientard. <clears throat> and I was like, that's not even funny, man. And I was young. I'm like, who's, who's the mean person? Make, you know. No, it's we three kings of Orient are. Very, very subtle difference. But it makes all the difference in the world, you know. Uh, I still don't like the song, uh, but Sufyan's version of it is actually quite good. So if you're looking for, a, like, a redemption of that tune, if you're like me and you, you didn't like it, check that one out. Um, but we're going to look at these, these well, these people, uh -huh, a little hint there, uh, and, and their journey. So we're in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I will invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the word. My friend Nathan will be reading for us verses 1 to 12 of Matthew's gospel, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Pray with me. Maybe as we begin this morning, take a couple of deep breaths, if you would. And whatever it is that you brought here, whatever it is you've come from, whatever it is you've left, 
an invitation for the next bit of time to be here. God invites Moses to come up on the mountain and be on the mountain. And so I'd invite you to come in worship and be in worship. God, as we gather this morning, it's my hope and prayer that by your spirit you would speak a word, um, a reminder, an invitation to us, uh, to the places in our hearts and our souls that we desperately need to hear and see and experience you. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit, the church said together, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Advent. It's the second Sunday of Advent. We've got our two candles down here. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but traditionally, the Advent candles, there's three purple ones and one pink one. How many of you knew that that's true for Advent? I thought for sure there had been a mistake. When these things showed up in, in the mail, I was like, what is the deal with that? Like, yeah, the Christ candle, maybe you set that one apart, so four purple, one pink, that would make sense. But no, this is like how it's done, I guess. And if you had to pick a Sunday, uh, you know, hope, joy, love, peace, which one do you think the pink one is? Joy. It's joy! It's not love! It continues to befuddle me. I just... <laughs> but it is the second Sunday of Advent, be that as it may. And I just love this season. There's so many great stories, so many great characters, right? You got John the Baptist. He was a wild one. Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna, if you, if you count Luke, the rest of Luke 2. Um, and the Magi and Herod. I mean, these, these two characters in this story are just fantastic. So here's what I want to do today. I want to try to dispel some of the myths about the Magi, of which there are many. Uh, I'd like to try to untame this story a little bit. I think we... we Sometimes get veneer Christmas, right? Because it's, it, it's so ubiquitous. We, it's every year. It's Hallmark, you know, the whole bit. The Hallmark Channel, for crying out loud. <laughs> there may or may not be someone in our church who has seen, like, I'm not kidding, every Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, and, and, and the last thing I want to do is I want to close by like looking at the responses of these people in this story. So, myths about the Magi. Numero uno. There, we don't know how many of them there were. Uh, we, we think there's three, right? The song, Three Kings of Orient are. Uh, there are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But nowhere in scripture do we get any definition about how many of these cats there were. Uh, what we do know about folks who would have traveled in the ancient world especially the distance that they traveled, is that they would have been in a caravan, right? Not a Dodge, but like a lot of people. Uh, This is in the Middle East, and they would have traveled a long ways, and so like these guys weren't making their own breakfast, okay? They were like, they were dignified, they were honorable, they uh, they were important people, and so they would have had an entourage of folks, a real entourage of people, And um, there were probably, most scholars argue, like more than three of them. Um, Can you make that claim with any certitude? No, you cannot. No more than you can to say there were were three. So there were a few of these wise men, as it were. Uh, Number two, they were not kings. So the song's terrible on so many levels, you guys. We three kings of Orient, they weren't kings. Uh, Matthew knows the word for king in Greek. It's basilios, and he doesn't use it for these people. He uses it for Herod. He uses it for Jesus. Multiple times in this passage, if they were kings, Matthew would have called them kings. They were not kings. Um, More on that in a minute. Uh, Number three, they were not at the manger scene. Um, 
once a month, we take down our screen and so that you can see the, the stained glass, which is lovely. It's beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, and we print these bulletins, and almost every time I forget, and I come early, and I make my slides for you all to see, <laughs> and I go back there today to say to Trevor, okay, I got slides, and he's like, can you help me take the screen down? I'm like, mother of, <laughs> Mary, mother of God, how many times am I going to do this and not remember? I will probably do it next month, too. But I had a picture for you of a nativity scene. I remember the nativity scene that I grew up with looking at. I can't remember if my mom had it or my grandparents had it, but, you know, it was, like, uh, uh, wooden, and it had the little, like, shooting star, you know, like, knowledge is power. You remember that ad campaign? Like, pew, little shooting star right on the gable end of the, 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 the manger scene. And then you had all the characters, right? You got Mary and Joseph. They're important. Baby Jesus, he's there. Uh, you got the animals, of course, because it was a manger scene. Uh, the angel, if you had a, a good nativity scene, you got the angel. Those were a little extra, right? But then there were always the shepherds, because they were there, of course, and the three kings from the Orient. They were there. They were not there, <laughs> period. I, I don't, I'm not, like, out to, on a campaign to, like, take these people out of the nativity scene, because, you know, the more the merrier, but they weren't there. It's historically inaccurate. So when you're teaching the kids about Jesus and Christmas, make sure you mention to them they weren't there. Matthew even tells us, after Jesus was born, most scholars would argue one to two years after the manger scene. So not only were they not at the manger scene, but there was no manger when they arrived. <laughs> Jesus was like scooting around, probably maybe even walking in a house. They had moved. They're not living in this, the, the barn anymore. There's just so many things wrong with the, those guys at the manger scene. I just got to know. You got to know. So you're welcome. Uh, so... <laughs> Who were these guys then, right? Um, let's, let's untame Christmas a little bit. I think that because of Christmas, because of uh, it happens every year, you know, we tell the story over and over again, it's the same story every year, and there's a billion-dollar business around it, uh, we sort of forget, like, how wild this story really is. Um, it's sort of, sort of, you know, vanilla uh, ice cream for us. And this is like Rocky Road. I mean, there's a lot going on in this, in this story, uh, so let's untame it a little bit. We'll start with Herod. Uh, you never see a nativity scene with Herod in it, do you? Yeah, it's because he was a psychopath, a total, complete maniac, like unalterably, like an absolute megalomaniac. I actually think we got to put Herod back in Christmas. I am on a campaign to put Herod back in Christmas because I think when we take out the things that are so scary, they, like the whole thing loses its power. Right? If you take out the absolute darkness of Herod, the light isn't as bright. Because it's all there. Herod was a nut, a total nut. Um, he was the son of an Edomite who married an Arab woman, uh, the, the uh, daughter of a sheik. So he was kind of of, of means. Um, he, he grows to power and, and is like a fantastic politician. He brokers deal with Rome, the ever-changing empire of Rome. Um, in 37 to 34, there's like a civil war in and around Israel in Judea, and Herod like makes his way up the ranks and sort of gains favor with an emperor called Octavius. If anyone was here last week, that's Caesar Augustus. So he becomes the sort of, you know, puppet king of Rome, the, the, the you know, uh, landlord of this, you know, uh, an outpost of the Roman Empire in Judea. 
As he does, he, he starts this massive building campaign. He's obviously a very good fundraiser. Um, maybe we should take some hints from Herod in the next season to raise some funds. But either way, this guy built all kinds of things in the ancient world, many of which are still there. Like the second temple uh, of Israel, Solomon's temple, the Temple Mount in Israel, it's still there today. That's Herod. Uh, the port city of Caesarea, that's Herod. The, the fortress at Masada, he was, he was like totally um, insecure, so he had all these fortresses all over the place like, so he could hide in them whenever he needed to. They're still there. He was an amazing politician. Um, in Matthew's gospel, he, he, he's a symbol of darkness because he was a tyrant. He had a secret police that he sort of governed the city with that he would like sneak up on people and watch them and uh, did anything to protect his position and power. And what we see in Herod is kind of uncontrolled ambition just gone absolutely off the rails. Uh, there's a guy who did a, a, a whole book uh, on Herod the Great, it's called, by Norman Gelb, and he writes this. He says, Herod the Great, king of ancient Judea, was a brutal, ruthless, vindictive, and dangerously high-strung tyrant. <laughs> How about that for your bio? He had many of his subjects killed on suspicion of plotting against him, was accused of slaughtering the children in Bethlehem, and among the victims of his murderous paranoia that ultimately drove him to the brink of insanity were his three oldest sons and the wife he loved the most. I can't imagine what the others got. Uh, so he was a total, like, just a psycho. And, and at the same time, Gelb goes on and he says, despite his horrific failings, ultimate mental unbalance, Herod was fascinatingly complex, dynamic, and a largely constructive statesman, a figure of great public accomplishment. This is a great one. May, may it be said of me one day, one of the most underrated personalities of his time. <laughs> Evidently, in 25 uh, BC, there was a like, massive famine in Israel, and crazy guy, out of his own pocket, like supplied food and resources to the people of Israel so they didn't starve. So, like you, Herod was complex, light and dark in this guy. And it's into this world, like a world of chaos and wildness, this is where God enters. This is where the Christ is born, right under the nose of Herod. It is a wild and chaotic scene. What about the Magi? Um, the word Magi, which it probably should be Magi, but it just sounds so much like Maga, I just can't do it, you know? Like, the Magi, for no, no, no apparent intellectual reason do I make that G sound that way, the Magi, uh, the word in Greek means oriental scientist, by implication a magician, an astrologer, a sorcerer, or wise man. So these guys came from Persia, the, the, the region of Persia, from the, the empire of Babylon, and they would have been part of the royal court of Babylon. Think Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, right? Do you remember that story where Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den? Before that, he's made a magi. He's one of the magi in the king's court. Why? Because he can interpret dreams. He can see the future, right? Sorcery and divination. He's not, but he, he's made one in the court, uh, and then he gets thrown in the lion's den. That's what, these are the magi. That's what we're talking about. These guys would have traveled like 1,000 to 1,200 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. Uh, and they came because they saw something that alerted them to what was happening. 
in the ancient world at this time, there is this buzz among the people writing about the stars because they all had this sense, the stars were saying, that there would be someone of great import who is about to be born, and like the whole world will change. So they're all kind of waiting for this, and these guys were watching the stars, and they saw that this star led them to this place, and they followed. I think one of the reasons we call them wise men and, um, and, or kings is because we don't know what to do with who they actually were. These were pagan astrologers, guys. I don't, if you've got teenagers running around, it's like the Enneagram for teenagers. They love the horoscope. My, my kids, they're all into the horoscope. That's who these guys are. They're pagan astrologers. And like categorically, all throughout the Bible, this sort of activity is like, don't do it. Like, bad news bears. Rejected, denounced, like the, the, the sorcerers and, and diviners from Pharaoh's court in the Exodus story, from Babylon when they get taken into exile, in the book of Acts itself, just follow, following Luke's gospel. Uh, Acts 8 and Acts 13, there's two characters, Simon the sorcerer and this guy named Bar-Jesus. Evidently, it's a popular name. It's kind of like Emily and Jacob. Bar-Jesus, they're both sorcerers, and they're, they're denounced by Barnabas and Saul in the book of Acts. So who, who does God show up to in the midst of this chaotic and wild world but pagan astrologers? Sometimes I wonder, like I think back, you know, you guys remember the book of Nehemiah that we studied a couple of months ago? Thank you. <laughs> First hour, there was a very long pause, and I'm like, what am I even doing up here? It wasn't that long ago. The book of Nehemiah is a story about the exiles who get, like, Israel's captured, and they're taken off, captured, and taken to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah says to the people who are living there, seek the shalom of the city. Grow gardens. Have children. Have your children marry. Like, seek the shalom of the people, even in exile. And sometimes I wonder if the magi who show up in Bethlehem the seeds were sown by the great-grandmothers and grandfathers of Israel's story back in Babylon. Isn't that interesting? It's just a wondering I have. One of the things that I think we forget when we come to Christmas and Advent, and I want to untame this story, is God is wild, right? Do you remember Lucy? Is he safe? No, he's not safe. He's a lion for crying out loud. But he's good. One of the things we forget about this story is the wild nature of it. That God does not come to the people that God should come to. God does not show up in the places where God should show up. Among the people that have all the right pedigree and all the boxes checked and the preconceived notions and all of our things that we think God should do and act like and whatever. That's like the opposite of what happens. When God arrives, it's to the people we expect least. It's to the people who are outside of the boundaries that we create and say, God is here and not there. If this story says anything, it says that, which confirms and is consistent with all the other places where God arrives in the scriptures and the people to whom God spends time with. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, right? The, the lepers, the lowest of the low. The welfare mother in the immigrant. That's where God arrives. And we, we need not forget that. This God does what this God wants, and that is to come to anyone who seeks. It's one of the fascinating things if you read the story of Scripture. Those who seek, find. 
Those who cry out are heard. So I would pause this morning and ask you, what is it that that you're seeking? What are you looking for? One of the things that this story testifies to over and over and over again, and that I think many who have followed in its wake since then would also testify to, is that when, one of my friends said it this way, when it comes to God, we get what we want. I think God honors our choices and our desire. And when we seek and long for and cry out to the divine that we call God, that manifests themselves in this person we know as Jesus, what this story says is that that God is good on their word. Emmanuel, God with us. So what are you seeking today? What are you looking for? Do you trust and believe that this is true? Let me, let me close by highlighting these different responses of these people in the story. Of Herod, you have the religious leaders, and then you have the wise men. Herod, we've talked about him, but let's not skip his response. It is a fascinating look at power, Right? Herod is like hell-bent on securing power and self-aggrandizement and securing his like, situation, like paranoid, right? And, and the, the wise men come, the magi come, the sorcerers and diviners come looking for the star, and they go, like it stops somewhere over here, and they're like, oh, it's right over Jerusalem. Of course, like if a king's going to be born, he's going to be born among power, right? The structures and institutions that represent power. And so they go to those structures and institutions, right to the top of them, and they say to Herod himself, where is this one who was born king of the Jews? And of course, Herod's like, king of what? And he freaks out. Oh, you know, cloaks his desire to kill the child in, I want to worship him too, and we see through that, you know. But Matthew paints this beautiful picture, this juxtaposition between power on the one hand of Herod, the power of the empires and the kingdoms of our world, which look and feel a certain kind of way, and, are, and, and, and the currency of which is domination and strength and bigger weapons. And then right underneath it, under its nose, just down the way, is a, 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 another picture, another reality, a kingdom that comes humbly and, and vulnerably as a baby. And Matthew holds them both up from the beginning of his story all the way to the end, and he's, he's asking us which kingdom do we pledge allegiance to? By what means will we secure and advance our power and our influence in the world? And we go back and forth, don't we? That's the question of the gospel and of Advent. Herod's response is, well, the kingdoms of this world. Whoever has the biggest guns and the most military, the biggest military and and the most weapons wins. There's a different story being written. The question is, which one are you participating in? Then you have the magi, or excuse me, the the religious leaders, right? Notice who Herod calls. (laughs) I love this part because it's totally me, (laughs) right? He calls the chief priests and the teachers of the law or the scribes in some of your translations, right? The two most important people in the religious life of Israel, Herod calls them. So you have the chief priests, right? There were 24 kind of head priests, and they represented and oversaw all of those priests who served in the temple. These are men who would have studied Torah their entire lives. They had given their life, their very vocation, 
because of their tribal ethnic identity as Levites to this job of serving in the temple, in worship. That's all they did. Then he calls the scribes. These people gave their life to copying this, this, the, the scriptures so that if you're in Galilee and they open the scroll, guess who would have written that scroll? The scribes. They, they literally had it memorized. So he calls these two groups of people together, and he's like, does anybody know where this king is going to be born? And they're like, oh, yeah, Micah 5.2. Bethlehem, blah, 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 blah. It's a prophecy. He's, it'll be right over the hill. Could you pass the peanuts, please? Isn't it fascinating, the, the like, lack of urgency? These are the people who hold the stories. They've had the secret for generations. They've been talking about it since, like, great, 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 great Moses' grandpa, right? That God would come and redeem his people and save them from, from their sins and, and uh, build a kingdom that will never end out of the, the shoot of Jesse. Something will grow, right? Isaiah 6 or 7, 9, 11, all of, they know it all. And they're just, like, flat-footed. <laughs> and the pagan astrologers are, like, gone, To know and not act is to not know at all. Friends, in the religious world, we think the whole game is about what we know. What we believe. If we affirm the right things about God, and we pray whatever prayer and accept Jesus into our hearts, then we're good to go. To know and not act is to not know. What you know you enact. You live out. So what do you know? Like, really, truly. Which is quite literally an honest assessment of your life and your actions. James has a whole bit about this in the New Testament. We claim to say we know these things, and yet we, not, we, 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 we don't love our neighbor sacrificially. You don't know love. So for me, this is, a, this is a moment of pause, right? What do I actually know based on my actions? And the religious leaders, ironically enough, give us a window into that. Last, you have the Magi. And I love the King James on this one. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Isn't that beautiful? It's like one qualifier for joy is not enough. We're doubling down. Exceeding great joy. And when they were there in the house, they saw the young child, his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If the chief priests and the scribes are inactive and sedentary, the magi are like, they're engaged and moving. You know? And their response after having seen and experienced this moment and this Christ child is worship. The Greek word is proskuneo. Any guesses what word in English we might get from that? Prostrate. They fall down in worship. They give of their treasures, their valuable things, they give in worship, in adoration, in reverence to what they have just experienced. They came looking for this child. They have traveled 1,000 miles to get there. And then they fall on the ground and worship him. Why? 
in a world that desperately needed peace, in a world that desperately needed to be healed, far different from our world, they find in a child the king. And they worship. Many of you, if I know anything about this church, many of you have traveled long distances to get here this morning. You've been around the block, haven't you? And some of you are here because a friend told you or Google or some voice in your spirit said, come. And our hope, our prayer as a staff, as a church, is that you will find the best music in the Twin Cities. <laughs> the greatest preaching you have ever heard. Kids' ministry that will knock your socks off. None of that. None of that matters. And you can find far better elsewhere. We hope you find the Christ. We hope you find the King, the Messiah, the one who says, if you want life and you want to be healed and you want hope in this world, it's this way. And it doesn't look like Herod. It's actually quite hard to find. It's under the radar. There won't be street, there won't be signs, there won't be some guy out on the street going like this. Chris Lindahl, you guys see what I did there? I can't believe Chris Lindahl made it into my sermon. <laughs> he, he's like, I gotcha. <laughs> no, it's none of that, right? Because it, it, that like ab, actually like, undercuts the whole thing. It's like a mustard seed. It's sneaky. And, it's, and it like slowly but surely does its work. That's the kingdom. That's what we hope you find. And as you do, I hope that all you can do what, the only thing that's required, which is just to say, here I am. Be it unto me just as you say. You trust that this story, this way of being human, this good news, this gospel, is what it actually claims to be. And as you do, you would sell the whole, you would buy the whole field, you know, acres and acres because that pearl is in it. You'd, you'd, you'd like throw caution to the wind if you found it. You would worship. You would take what is valuable, of value to you, and you would say, here I am. My belief is that this way is a way of hope in a world where we desperately need hope and peace. Amen? And I'm trusting that it's true. I mean, like, I, if it's not, I'm a fool. <laughs> so the question is, if you want to be a fool with us, pray with me. God, this morning as we take a moment to be still and for the preacher to stop talking. We trust that your spirit is present to us, with us, for us, in us, and is always moving, always inviting, 
always wooing us towards this way of life, this Jesus, this Christ who comes at Christmas. So find us. If we've wandered, bring us home. To the church gathered in St. Paul, the question is whether or not we believe that's true. Does peace make us one? Does it bring us back together? Is it the thread that weaves humanity and this world back together? Or is it power as we know it? The gospel continues to say it's peace. And it's sacrificial love. So that's the invitation this morning. I invite you to go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Happy Advent. Check out the market. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.